conference coming up for um, Western Seminaries putting on the Ignite Conference, and our very own Karen Howells is the keynote speaker, and then I'll be doing a workshop as well. So if you missed the retreat, maybe want to spend some time worshiping with women in the city of Portland, that is on Saturday, March 2nd, and you can look up the Door of Hope women's Instagram for more information, okay? All right, love to see you there. Good morning. Hi, my name is Mark. Mark. <laughs> I'm one of the pastors here this morning. Just one more announcement. Is, uh, in, the, in the main parking lot, there's a white forerunner with California plates. That's not wrong. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and the lights are on. That's probably not right. So... If that's yours, you might want to go and take care of that, um, or you're going to need help getting audio afterwards. Um, yeah, I have the pleasure of preaching this morning. Uh, Josh is on his way back from Naples, Florida, um, and um, he has been there with Kevin Palau and the Palau Foundation. And so it's really great that he has opportunity to be part of that. And... Um, Really great that I have the opportunity to preach the word this morning. I have to, I have to mention I've had a pretty severe bout of flu this week. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that my voice holds up for this um, sermon, particularly because it's Galatians 3, and, and it's, a, it's a part of Scripture where Paul's shouting at the Galatians. And so um, I might be shouting a little bit during the sermon. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your presence with us. Lord, we thank you that by your spirit you bring your word to life for us, Lord God. And I pray that you would minister to our hearts, Lord God. I pray that you would sustain my voice. Um, Lord, I pray that you would sustain our spirits by your grace, by your power, by your love. We love you, Lord. Amen. <coughs> so... Um, Galatians 3 is, is a, a, the portion of Galatians where Paul really kind of um, cuts to the chase, and he, he addresses the Galatians directly. In the first two um, chapters of Galatians, the, the main themes of the book weave through the themes of, of faith, um, being saved by faith, um, the themes of the integrity of the gospel, but it's largely, in chapter 1 and 2, it's largely about his authority um, establishing and, and building an argument for his credibility as an apostle, as a, as a teacher of the true gospel. He speaks about the way that God called him, that his gospel isn't just made up, but that it was revealed to him by God himself that he submitted that gospel to the apostles and that it's verified by the apostles themselves, so much so that when Peter himself um, behaved in a way that was contrary to the gospel, Paul was able to call him out on that and bring correction even to Peter, and that Peter received that correction from him. And so it's kind of like he's saying, guys, you've got to take what I'm saying seriously because what I'm saying is the truth. 
And then here in, in Galatians 3, he comes and he, and, and he addresses them straight on, directly. He says to them, Galatians 3 verse 1, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He, he's basically like, you guys are such idiots. I can't believe that you guys would fall for something like this. Because I made it so clear to you. And then you still go ahead and believe something different. The language that Paul uses is, is kind of reminiscent of that time of, um, if, if somebody were to post a declaration or post something um, official, make an official statement, like if a king wanted to make a decree and, and might have like printed posters or whatever else, and it, it would have been in bold letters, clearly communicated without any ambiguity, this is what it, you should believe, what you should know. And, and Paul's saying, man, I made it so clear to you, but, but you've been deceived. It's like somebody's come in and bewitched you. I don't know if any of you have ever been scammed trying to do something good, trying to do the right thing. Um, when, when I finished university, I uh, moved to London uh, from South Africa for a short while, just went and had a bit of a jaunt there and lived there for, for a short while and did our jobs and kind of goofed off. I love that American expression, <laughs> goofing off. And so um, I goofed off in London for, for a while. One afternoon I was sitting in the flat, it was a friend of mine's flat, apartment building, and big, big apartment building, multiple levels, and hundreds of people living in this thing. So nobody really knew all of their neighbors. And one afternoon, this lady came knocking at the door with her kids in tow, baby in arm, and lots of little kids around her. And she, she says, man, like, well, I, I'm from the flat just upstairs, and you've probably heard the noise that my kids make, and I'm, I'm so sorry for that, but... Um, my husband's not home yet and we've just run out of electricity and I need to go down to the off license and buy a recharge packet for our pay-as-you-go electricity thing. I'm in the middle of cooking dinner and the kids are melting down and can you help me? I just need 10 pounds. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, that's fine. And I really wanted to help this lady. And so I gave her 10 pounds and, and, and she said, that, my husband will be back soon and, and I'll send him right down to 
to bring the, the money for you. And I said, like, oh, that's good. It's not like no rush. And, and so that evening, the, the guy didn't come. And I was like, oh, that's okay. I'm not going to, you know, you know, I'm not in a rush for it. But the next day, I was like, I kind of need my money <laughs> to goof off. <laughs> and so I went upstairs and <clears throat> knocked on the door directly above us. And a guy answered. And I was like, hey, you know, sorry to bother you, but... Yesterday, your, your wife came over and, uh, and borrowed 10 pounds, and I'm just here to collect the money because I needed to goof off. And, and the guy was like, oh, you're bringing my money back. And I was like, no, 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 um, I'm coming to get my money. And he was like, but your wife came and borrowed 10 pounds from you. <laughs> and in that moment, we were both like, oh, <laughs> kind of think we know what, <laughs> what happened here. But as much as we both like, knew We've, we've been duped. Like I went on, it took me like two days. For two days, I was still like, maybe the lady's going to come back. <laughs> maybe she wasn't lying. Maybe it's like she lives upstairs is like a, an expression for something else. Or, and and I, it really, I, I kind of needed somebody to, to be able to say, dude, you're being an idiot. You're being a fool. You've been duped. And, and that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying to them, guys, you, you have been duped. You, like, because the problem is when you're deceived, you don't know that you're deceived. Like nobody, nobody buys into the idea of being deceived. Nobody says like, oh, yeah, I want to live in deception. Um, people, honestly, th that's the weird thing about deception is it's so close to faith. And this whole... This whole book is about faith, but it's, a, it's about putting your faith in the right thing. And that's what Paul is saying here is, guys, you've misplaced your faith. The deceiver has come, and he's, he's distorted something that is so whole and so good and so pure and so right and brings such freedom, and, and just a little twist has caused you guys to to get off track. And so his, his, his words and his teaching here are designed to, to stir up and to, to evoke within them to kind of break down this and, and help them unlearn this, this faulty faith that they have, this deception that's taken root in them. And he brings correction. He brings correction in three main ways. And I'll I want to look at those ways specifically because I think they're helpful for us. As a community, I don't want to assume that we're immune to deception. I think as, as much as we're good at knowing the truth and we're good at speaking the truth, but, but all of us can be deceived at times. And sometimes there are even things that may sweep across us as a community where it's kind of assumed, oh, this is what Door of Hope believes or, or this is what's okay and acceptable. But, but it might not be the best way to line up with Scripture or to walk in faith in Jesus. And so we need, to, we need to be faithful to test those things and allow outside voices to speak into us as a church and to, and to hold one another accountable and to take seriously our walk with Jesus. And to, and to take upon us the things that Paul calls the Galatians to here. 
And the first thing he calls them to is a deep reliance on the cross. He says to them, was it not before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified? And, and this is the phrase that's like a billboard statement for Paul. It's one line, but it, is, it, it, it really is like the billboard statement for him. It, it, he's saying this, this is the gospel. This is the centrality of the gospel is the cross of Christ. The fact that mankind has failed in its, in its attempts to reconcile itself with God. And so God, in his grace and his love, has extended his hand of, of compassion toward us. And, and in Jesus, he has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And it's, it's, a, um, it's a very foreign idea to us, this statement on its own, because it finds context in the fullness of Scripture. But when you understand that, when, when, when you read this and know that the story of Scripture is a story of God's, um, God's plan to, to reconcile humanity to himself, this, this statement, you realize, is the hinge statement upon the entire gospel. This is the hinge upon which all of Scripture turns. It's the fact that Jesus was a pure sacrifice for us. The problem is that for each one of us, there is the temptation, there is the... Um, the tendency to want to rely on our own goodness, our own strength, our own abilities. And as Christians, we need to relearn the gospel every day. There's a reason that Jesus refers to us as sheep. Because we are prone to wonder, just as the old hymn, old hymn says. We may act at times as if a spell has been cast on us where we are filled with pride, we're filled with self-righteousness, we become haughty and arrogant, and um, we don't even recognize it because a veil is pulled over our eyes. Paul doesn't emphasize Jesus' moral teaching. So this line, this single line, he, he says... It, was it not before your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified? He doesn't say, was it not before your eyes that Jesus' teaching seemed to be good or a, a better way to live than anything else that's available out there? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is, what, is a good moral teacher, but it's because he's God. And it's because he, he, he was living a pure and a, and a faultless life. And so, it's, like John Stott says, the gospel, it's not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but it's a declaration of what God has done. It's not a demand. It's an offer. One of the reasons that, as a church, we strongly encourage people toward going to Christian counselors, and, and we have a long list of 
of, of Christian counselors that we will refer people to is because we recognize that people at all times, whether they're in crisis or not, need to be pointed back to the cross of Christ, need to be pointed back to their reliance on the cross. So much of counseling is developing strategies to, to help you cope with um, situations and circumstances and cope with your own um, maybe emotional shortcomings or behavioral shortcomings, vices and all that sort of thing. It's good to have strategies. It's good to have like robust strategies and, and um, yeah, those things, are, they're not bad things. But a good Christian counselor will always point people back to their faith in Jesus and, and will, will help people see, man, yeah, you're not perfect, but this is exactly why you need Jesus. And it's not like Jesus is going to fix everything in your life. It's going to be perfect. Paul, even in this passage, says to them, it, "What did you guys suffer in vain? And, and so Christian life is not going to be a walk in the park. There is, there is going to be suffering, but that suffering is not in vain as long as that suffering is surrendered to Jesus. I love Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, like you, you want to, yes, you, you want to run this race. You want to live this life well, but you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? Because he's, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Which brings me to, the, to my second point, or Paul's second, second point, which is, the testimony of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Paul emphasizes to the Galatians, he says to them, guys, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This thing that started supernaturally, that started in a way that you could never have orchestrated it on your own. I came in and I preached to you the gospel and you believed and God gave you the Spirit, and you saw evidence of that in, in signs and wonders and in the way the Holy Spirit changed you from the inside out. You saw that evidence, and yet you're departing from it. So foolish. He says that thing that started, it started in a supernatural way. The only way it can finish is in a supernatural way. You can't finish this by your own flesh. You can't finish this in a natural way. That's crazy. It's ludicrous. It's foolish. The Galatians were living in an unprecedented time. Like throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was promised. And when Jesus walked with his disciples, he promised the Holy Spirit. He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus, Jesus was saying, man, you, got, you guys are going to need help. 
Because the only way that this can happen is through is is by supernatural means. This is a spiritual thing. This isn't just a natural thing. This is this is a supernatural thing. The mark of the Christian community today continues to be the presence of the Spirit in power. Only those who have received the Spirit truly belong to Christ. Yes, we are weak. Yes, we, we can be led astray after like, false gospels and, and novel ideas and ways to fix ourselves. But God has given us the Holy Spirit. He hasn't left us destitute. He hasn't left us to, to figure this out on our own. This, this line in Galatians 3.3, 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Those two words, begun and perfected. William Barclay, he points out that those two, the Greek words are the normal, the normal words for beginning and completing a sacrifice. And this is very easy for us to miss in, in the English translation, but the first, the first word is the word for scattering the grains of, of barley around the sacrifice, and then which was, which was the start of the sacrifice. And then the second one is the word used for fully completing the ritual of, of any sacrifice. And so what Barclay points out is that by, by using these words, Paul is, is, is demonstrating that our lives are... Our lives become a sacrifice. Our lives are, become fully surrendered, fully submitted to God. And, and it's an amazing thought because our lives are not perfect. Our, our lives are, are tainted by sin apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, our lives become something that, that can bring God glory and honor and, and can um, bring, bring, bring a, a sense of closeness to God, to the people around us. We become a, a people, a priesthood that helps others see the goodness of God. This is such a tough thing in a lot of ways because this whole idea of, of being sanctified, being set apart for God, being, being a holy sacrifice for God, our lives being a, an aroma, bringing the aroma of Christ to those around us, can, is the very thing that can lead many people into this idea of, man, the better I live, the better I am with God. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit. There's a, um, a road that the last time we were in South Africa, we drove this road from Pretoria down to Cape Town. And it's a really long road. It's a, a, a tedious road to drive at times because at times there's just nothing and it's just this long straight road. But the, it doesn't mean that you can just let go of the wheel. Like, even though it's a long straight road, you, 
you can so easily drift. And so deception is often a slow drift one way or the other on the road. And on the one side of the road, we have legalism and, and law, which says, oh, do the right thing and you'll be right with God. And on the other side of the road, the other ditch that we can land in is, oh, our lives don't matter. We can just goof off and, and, and it doesn't really matter because we're covered by the grace of God. And what, what Paul is saying, what Scripture continually points us to is neither of those are right. Yes, God has given us grace, but not grace for us to just walk whichever way we want to walk. It's grace and He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness and to, and to stay the course and to get out of that ditch when we land in either ditch to repent and turn back and to continue to rely on Jesus and say, man, my life depends on the living Christ. I need that life. Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you help me get back on this road? Later on in the book of Galatians, Paul alludes, alludes to that more. But, but the, the bat, a large part of the battle is the battle between law and licentiousness. Many believers, I think, have been taught, maybe not um, like officially, but we, we have this idea that justification, which Josh preached on so well last week, justification is by faith, but, but sanctification, oh, no, there's, that's by works. Like, the, we, we get sanctified by doing good things and by being better, and that's, that is a deception because as believers, just like the Galatians, we, we don't begin the Christian life by faith and then, and then continue it through the flesh. It needs to be an ongoing, sustained thing by the Spirit. And this is such a practical thing. It's, it, anytime we sin, it's essentially a lack of faith. When we become aware of our sin and we become convicted by the Holy Spirit that whatever we are, whatever you're doing is wrong, by continuing to do that thing, it's a, it's a demonstration that greater faith is needed. So, stealing. You um, decide, oh man, I, I'm not going to make it this month and there's like money in, the petty, like in petty cash. Is that a term in America, petty cash? Anyway, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to help myself to some of that and, and, and nobody's going to notice. It's, it's effectively taking into your own hands God's promise that he will provide for you. And you're saying, well... I'm going to do this in my own strength, by my own means. And that's, that's maybe an extreme example. There, there might be more subtle ways that we're tempted to do those things, um, or more subtle ways that we're tempted to sin. 
But I think for any of us, when we look at sin and the way sin plays out in our lives, it so often points to a, a lack of faith. And so our response to sin needs to be repentance, coming back to Jesus, allowing, us, allowing him to forgive us, renew us, getting back on the road. Colossians 2 verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And so the way, the way our walk is needs to be reflective of the way that we entered into faith. And it, it needs to depend on faith. We walk in Jesus in the same way that we came to life in him. Romans 8 says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you, are, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And it's just such a, it's such a beautiful testimony. And it's such a, such a testimony of God's love for us. God loves you. He started a good work in you. He's faithful to bring that to completion. And he's done that because he loves you. And he's given, he's given you his Holy Spirit because he loves you. The third thing that Paul points to is Scripture as a testimony of faith. He says in verse 8, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would just, justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Man, it, it's kind of a crazy verse because... He's, he's saying Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So Scripture knew ahead of time that God would bring a time where the Gentiles would be justified by faith, preached to Abraham, and, and said to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And so it's, it, Scripture was not written then not in the way we have it today, but it doesn't mean that it didn't exist. It was God's plan from the beginning. And, and so God's, God's word had existed even then, and God's intention from the beginning was that it would be through faith, through a deep dependence on him, that all of us would come to faith in him. And so it points to the deep trustworthiness of Scripture. It points to the fact that the Bible really knows what it's talking about. The Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is inerrant. I think we live in a time, we live in a climate, where and we live in a city where truth has become really relative, where it's not so much about what's actually true, it's about what's perceived to be true. Like, tr truth is true. 
because it's the thing that's true, you know? And then anything else is false. And it's, it, I can point to so many examples of, of things, thinking and the way, the way people act and behave that is just contrary to, to truth. And we need to be people that are grounded in the word because society is going to toss people around with many different waves of doctrine. And we need to be people who continually come back to the word of God, who continually uh, feed ourselves on God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to bring it alive to us. This is the very point. I, I've seen bizarre things argued from Scripture as well. I, I've seen people make a case for all sorts of things from Scripture that are ludicrous. And that's kind of how the, the Galatians' deception was, was rooted, is that the people who came in said, yeah, God's plan is, was, has has always been for, for the Gentiles to be part of his family. God's plan is to reconcile all people to himself. But his master plan for that is, is circumcision. And it's just crazy. Like what? Circumcision is the master plan? No. That, how, I mean, it's how the Galatians fell for it. I don't know. It was probably argued a lot more eloquently than that. But we can't rely on eloquence. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to be swept up in, in fresh and new ideas. We have to always allow ourselves to come back to the big story of Scripture. It's that God has made a plan for all people to be reconciled to Him by faith. I think so many of us, like we look at our own walks with God and we might feel inferior in a way or we might wonder, is my faith strong enough? Jesus reminds us that with faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And, and the, one of the most powerful prayers in Scripture is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think, I think it's, I walk with Jesus, the best place to be in as we walk with Jesus is a place of humility. Not thinking too much of ourselves, not thinking too much of, the good things that, that we've done, but recognizing that even our best deeds are like filthy rags before the goodness of Jesus. There's an, there's an amazing story that Spurgeon tells. He says, Remember that the safety of the weak and of the strong believer rests upon the same foundation. On board one of the fine steamboats that flit between England and America, there is a strong, hardy, vigorous man. Will he get to America safely? Yes, if the ship does.
But yonder is a little child that cannot walk and has to be carried in his mother's arms. Will it reach America safely? Yes, if the ship does. Both the robust man and the crying infant, all being well, will reach their journeys, and if the ship does, their, their safety lies in the same place. Their condition does not affect their transit. But is there no difference between the child and the man? Assuredly, there's a great deal of difference as to many things, but there's no difference about the fact that their passage across the ocean depends upon the steamboat rather than upon themselves. The strong man could not walk across the Atlantic any more than the child could. They are alike incompetent for the passage if left alone, and alike capable of it if placed on board the same vessel. So if you meet with a great saint, say to yourself, my honored brother will get to heaven through Jesus Christ, and I, a poor babe in grace, shall get to heaven in the same way. I think it's funny that America is heaven in this story. <laughs> but you might feel like you might feel like that helpless infant in the story. I want to say to you this morning if you've never put your faith in Christ, you you can do that as much as anyone else can. Jesus isn't waiting for you to pull your life together. He's not waiting for you to, to be perfect, to be whole. He meets you in your sinful place. You might feel like you're the robust man in the story. But the reality is you could be in a very dangerous place if, you, if, if that's where you think you are. And I want to bring a caution and say, come to Jesus humbly, as much as the one who is broken before Jesus. So whether, whether you're weak, whether you're strong, I want to encourage you in this moment, Jesus has begun, begun a good work, work in you. Jesus is faithful to bring that to completion. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Allow God to continue to work in your life. Take joy in the fact that God has given you so abundantly of himself. Amen. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your love toward us, Lord God. We thank you for your generosity that 